Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Welcome back to XYZ, the CNC podcast uh, for anybody into CNC, machining or whatever it may be. Hosted by myself, Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives and Aaron Goff of Goff Customs, also a knife maker. But this this isn't necessarily for knife makers. Anybody with any sort of interest in, in CNC and or machining, that kind of thing. How are you, Aaron? It's been, it's been two weeks since we last, well, oh, over a week since we last spoke. Yeah, no, going good, mate. It's been a... Very good week, actually. I uh, I hit a a bit of a milestone on uh, on Monday. Which I'm Your million about. sale. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> uh, no, I I received an order for a knife. I assembled and finished the knife and shipped it on the same day. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow. So like, obviously, I had parts and stuff already made, like a sheath and blade and so on. But machined the handle scales and did final fitting and assembly and. Yeah, shipped the same day, and then the customer received it the next day. Wow, that that that's Amazon Prime stuff. That is <laughs> right. I was yeah, I was like, holy shit, this is next level. You know? That is impressive. I How mean, about you, mate? Uh, I haven't had the best of times, <laughs> to be honest no. with you. I've been sick um, to the point of I've I've barely been in my shop for the last I'd say ten days. Right. Um, First, start off with with what was a migraine, which I've never really had before. But you know, I've, I've had headaches and thought, "Oh, this is a really bad headache." Yeah. This thing took me down. It was it was pretty bad. Yeah, they can so be pretty had, incapacitating. Yeah, yeah, and to the point where it hurts to open your eyes. It, it mm-hmm. was that bad. So I was a few days in bed with that. Um, got up out of bed on the, on you know on the day I thought I was feeling good. And and you know when you've sort of been cooped up and you're, you're like a caged target, you, you're excited to work, you can't wait. Yep. Um, but I managed to then pull a muscle in my sort of neck going into my back, really. And this was the... <laughs> this I'd say this was worse pain than the migraine. This took me back down again into bed for another few days. <laughs> and, um, well, the last few days, technically, there's been nothing wrong with me. Um, but I'm just tired. Like, yeah completely tired there's just so much going on at the moment and um i I, yeah there's not much headspace left i'm I'm full to the brim and um yeah just constantly tired but um but you know things things the weather's changing spring has come in um hopefully i'll have more energy soon but yeah i've just had the wind taken out of my sails the last i say probably 10 days yeah so it's gonna be I'm taking it slowly to get back into stuff. So I've started a few things this morning, and yeah, you know, I'm I'm fine. I'm I am fine, but um, I'm just tired now. <laughs> well, here's to a better week. Knock on wood. Yes, let's hope so. Let's hope so. So let's go back to this knife that you managed to ship the next day. It is that something that you think 
you're aiming for now because like you said your knives are the same each time the, the differences are you know the handle materials or the liners mm-hmm. or, or the sheaths now um you know having a bunch in stock and being able to do that is th- th- that would be pretty sweet wouldn't it, it takes a lot way a lot of stress yeah it does take a lot, a lot of stress and that that's kind of the primary reason why i wanted to it's not necessarily a goldish to be like you know finishing them up the same day but like um you know i'd like to keep some common colors in stock like mm-hmm. have them already done and then you know less common stuff i'd like to be you know getting it out within a week or so it it yeah it just like kind of burns my brain when i have like a big backlog of work um it's a pretty amazing feeling to be like totally caught up and be like oh you know there's a snowstorm outside today fuck it i'm not gonna go to work you know yeah. like <laughs> I'll, I'll work another day or or whatever you know like having that flexibility is really nice yeah like a big weight lifted off the shoulders i bet yeah. yes yeah and i've been trying to work to that um to that point for like five years <laughs> or like six years it's been a really long journey so yeah, pretty pretty crazy to be there. Nice. I did see the knife that you made, and it had the uh, was it the green handle with the blue liners or the blue yeah, handle with the green? Very liners? Jeff Fader style, right? That's exactly what I thought when I saw yeah. it because he, he's got this sort of house style, if you like, and that was very similar. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too because that was a customer request, so it was um yeah, but royal blue scales with toxic green liners, and mm. I I didn't put two and two in my head together in my head when he when he ordered that i wasn't like oh that you know that's kind of jeff jeff's kind of colors you know and then as soon as i saw it in person i was like that looks like you know one of jeff's knives um so yeah i thought that was funny but yeah that was his request he was like i know this will sound crazy but yeah yeah so it wasn't jeff who ordered it no to be clear okay okay that's good Okay, but um, I understand. I haven't seen it. I can just see in the notes here that you've put out a, a new video this week. Um, yes, sir. Talking about um, bolt screws, thrust bearings, that kind of thing. I haven't even looked at YouTube for maybe two weeks. Um, I watch way too much YouTube these days. I find like a lot of the content elsewhere just kind of boring, like movies and TV shows. Hmm. Yeah, so I, I just watch YouTube for entertainment, honestly. Yeah, well, normally me too, but. Um, yeah, I've yeah, had it's a been that week. Let's, let's say I've had a different different two weeks. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> so like, um, I actually filmed the video last April, like all, and I've only just had a chance to finish editing it and so on. Um, so like, I had an issue with the the Z axis on my Fidal right after I started trying to use it. Um, this was the one that I had rebuilt in a previous video, and somehow I'd missed like three thousandths of an inch of backlash in the Z axis. So. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened there, but basically I put together a video, um, you know, showing, explaining what a ball screw is, what a thrust bearing is, or the possible causes of the backlash, um, how to diagnose where it's coming from, and then fixing it. Hmm. Ah, very, that, that's going to be very handy for a lot of people, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah I hope so. Um, hmm. And uh, yeah, I tried to like, it's, it's really hard to make a technical video like that that's still watchable, you know, yes. and I think, yeah. I think luckily I hit the the sweet spot but yeah it was like i literally cut like 95 percent of what i filmed right oh geez okay <laughs> yeah so a lot of effort goes into these videos I'm oh yeah, Hell yeah. Something here. yeah like that my average video is at least eight hours of editing usually wow, closer to 16 wow yeah Jush. so are you doing sort of multiple cameras as well then no no just one camera but like i'm i'm you know i'll be hot yeah yeah i might 
you know, so sometimes I'll have like, you know, 300 gig, 500 gig of footage for a single video. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, yeah, it can be, it can be pretty nuts. But I mean, luckily it's, I've been able to keep it a bit more sane recently. I'm, I'm just kind of like focusing a bit more on taking less footage. Um, and previously I had an iMac. So I buy all my computers used. I hate buying new computers. So I had an older iMac at the shop. I had an older iMac at home. But it meant that, like, if I took footage at the shop, then I had to bring SD cards home to to um, put them on my computer. And then I could only edit them at home, blah, blah, blah. So I last late last year, I bought um, a 2015 MacBook Pro. And I've just been, like, dumping. And I put a 2 terabyte SSD in it, which is amazing. So I've just been dumping footage onto it as soon as I take it, and then I can kind of chop it up real quick, and it's it's helped smooth smooth my workflow out a lot. So yeah, and th- they were probably the last of the good MacBook Pros. So that I was think the so. one before the the Touch Bar and all the rest of it, wasn't it? Yeah, and it has standard USB ports and an SD yeah. card reader, and yeah, like the new ones don't don't have an SD card reader, like. Uh, yeah. you know, like half of the people that would consider themselves pros that are using Macs are like, um, you know, graphic designers or photographers or mm. video editors. Like, they need that IO to get things. Yeah, yeah, I'd really definitely. like an SD card. Reader. Yeah, but I, I had the 2012 MacBook Pro, mm-hmm. and I had that for eight years, and yep. it was it was bulletproof. It was just the best thing. It said all the ports that I needed. It was fast, um, but, but yeah, in the end, it was just. I can't, I can't quite remember what happened. It probably now. Here's the thing. <laughs> I know exactly what happened. You dropped it <laughs> in the toilet. My wife would take it in the bathroom with her when she had a bath uh, uh, to watch Netflix. <laughs> and um, steam over over the years, a lot of steam had got in and and, and stuff had corroded. So so it, it had its day. But na- yeah, now I've got one of the the new MacBook Pros mm. with the Touch Bar, and it's. Ugh. I just don't. I just don't like it. It's you know. It's it's slightly thinner and all these things that they, you know and the the bezels less around the screen. All these things that they sort of promote. But I'm having to use dongles for virtually everything. There's, yeah. As you say, there's no SD card reader and it's uh, and no MagSafe adapter. No and the what? Sorry. The MagSafe, the power adapter, the magnetic power adapter. Well, like, that's gone now. Yeah. Got, yeah. Now it's USB C. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. No, it's, I mean, that thing has saved my laptop a few times where I like accidentally kick the power cord, you know, and that would have like, you know, probably dropped the laptop on the ground and smashed it, but instead it hmm. just comes unhooked, you know, like, yeah, yeah, I agree. So I, I bought one of these used off um, Kijiji. It was like 900 bucks or something. And then Is that I made up word. <laughs> Kijiji. It's, um, Kijiji. it's, it's Craigslist except by eBay and it's taken over in Canada. Oh, okay. Okay. Do you know Craigslist? You started it. You should know. I, I know. It. I know. Yeah. I know of it, but we we don't have it over here. We didn't have it in the right. UK either. I think it's it's an American thing. Or you yeah. Know, yeah. 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 And Craigslist used to be the thing in Canada too, but then Kijiji, which is owned by eBay, they started this like huge marketing campaign, and within a year they took over. Okay. Yeah. So so what's the difference between that and eBay? Is it more like like Facebook Marketplace that kind of thing? Is it? Yeah, it's just face to face sales, you know, okay. cash. Dodgy deals on the sidewalk. Cash is king. Yeah, you open your coat, you take out a MacBook, you know. <laughs> hmm. Speaking so, of so buying things. So what kind of stuff are you, are you buying on? Um, could you well, do? that's what I was just about to say. I had an experience with this bloody Muppet the other day. Um, I've, so I've been looking for a lathe. Um, and we talked about this because a little bit in the past because I want to do this 
uh, ISO 20 spindle project, right? So I have to make prototypes and that means I need a lathe. And I thought I'd found a great lathe. It was a Colchester student, which was um, kind of nice. made in the, the 60s lathe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this guy, you know, didn't know what he had. And he was just like, best offer. And I was like, okay, how much do you want for it? And he's like, 600 bucks. I'm like, fuck yeah, buddy. Like, let's do it. Like I said, you know, can you, can you deliver it? And he's like, oh, I guess so. I've got a tow truck. I was like, this is perfect. Like getting delivery here would be like a thousand bucks, right? So I was like, how much do you want for delivery? Like, like 300 bucks. And he's like, oh, call it 200. I was like, okay, this is working out to be a deal of the century. And then he went quiet for a day and I was like, hey, mate, do you, you know, like when, when, when are you delivering the lathe? Because we'd talked about it, like as far as I knew it was mine. Hmm. And he's like, oh, it's gone. I'm like, oh. what are you talking about? And he's like, oh, I sold it to another guy for seven fifty. And I was like, buddy, I would have given you like 1500 bucks for that lathe. Like you're a, oh, you're a dummy, geez. you know? Oh, Seriously. what a chance, sir. I know. So, but that's fine. All's well that ends well. I ended up um, uh, putting a wanted post on Practical Machinist, and a guy kind of close to me has a standard modern lathe, which is a very nice manual lathe from, I think it's like early 80s, late 70s. Mm. Right. Um, and it's a 13 by 40 inch lathe. So, what, 40 centimeters by 100? Okay. Yeah. Um. So it's a, it's a fair bit bigger. It's about five feet long. Um. And nice. yeah, that's and... going to be coming this weekend. Oh, lovely, lovely. And that's all ready to go. Is that a full strip down, or is it just ready to go? I've got no idea, honestly. Um. <laughs> I I don't I don't have a car, so I can't drive. And this guy is an older gentleman that doesn't use technology. Um. Right. Okay. So I'm going to so be did seeing a sketch it for you. <laughs> did a yeah. Sketch in, in yeah. Short. Pretty much. I'm going to be seeing it first time when it shows up. Um. <laughs> And yeah, like I'm only willing to do deals like that with someone that I've like had a conversation with and they seem like mm. a good, good guy. And, you know, he's taking a risk by bringing it to me if it's a pile of shit and, I, and he shows up with it. And I'm like, no, you know, yeah. then. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we, we'll see. Fingers crossed. Nice. Nice. Well, I've been, as much as I've been on my deathbed, not to be too dramatic, I've been on my deathbed <laughs> with a headache and a bad neck. Uh, <laughs> I have been playing with my shitty little CNC a little bit. Just, just, just see what happened. Because I had in the post we talked about last week one of those little, uh, the, you know, the pendant remotes. Yes, yeah. Um, so it's just a little USB thing, uh, no configuration at all. Um, basically, it mimics keystrokes. I'm pretty sure that's all right. it's doing. Um, in um, Mark three. In Mark three, exactly. Sorry, yeah. I had a brain fart. <laughs> and um, and it works really nicely. Do you know, yeah. for, for for jogging around and that kind of thing, and and yeah, it it, it works pretty nice. But, but anyway, all I have been doing with this shitty little CNC um, is signs. <laughs> I've made a sign for everything. <laughs> right. <laughs> My grinding room now has a sign saying "grinding room." The kids' bedroom <laughs> now has a sign saying their names. Uh, we made yep. a sign for the new house. Um, it's right. just really fun, and it's you know it's a really obviously a simple project to do. It's good practice, um, though. It's good practice, especially when you're doing. Um, so for, for for the house sign, for example, I wanted like a like a three D carving, right on there. So it was the first time I've actually did it with done it with a CNC where I did made like a rough in tool path, um, then I made a finer tool path, mm. um, and it worked out really well. And yeah, yeah, I'm I'm pretty pleased. So nothing, nice. you know, nothing too technical, um, but you know, functional things that are, are actually being used around the house, which is quite nice. Nice. Next, you're going to be like that guy on YouTube. How I turned a $1 log into a $12,000 work of art. 
<laughs> yeah. I the sold $50,000 signs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Such clickbait titles. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. Uh, YouTube seems to be getting worse. I don't know if it's just what I see, but it certainly seems to be getting worse over the last few months. But yeah. Well, unfortunately, it's just kind of what brings money in. You know, like... Yeah. I, I, and like I fight against that really hard. Like I get people contacting me to do sponsorships and reviews, and mm. you know they they're basically like throwing money at you to try and make your channel into their their advertising. You know, and yeah. I don't want to do it. I really don't. Um, but it it is hard because, like I said, like a video that takes like sixteen hours to make, you know, and that's just the editing. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it can be a bit hard to to see the return on that you know yeah exactly yeah uh, but um i mean whilst we're talking about sort of socials and you know youtube and so on we, we've had some questions on instagram actually oh i didn't even check instagram this week ah bring uh, it on well we've got some in the notes here um so that this these may be over a week old now but we we haven't answered them yet so um studio underscore blade um on instagram says oh you haven't read far enough yet craig i added those and they're not questions they're Aren't they? no oh. they're, they're people showing us stuff it's awesome oh right okay yeah okay. go go ahead read, read through that one show us your stuff studio blade so yeah. studio underscore blade on instagram uh, doing some really cool work cutting leather with a drag knife on his cnc router uh router router uh <laughs> the the drag knife is made by donek tools which is uh donektools.com and they have a program that will post process your to post process your tool paths to turn them into tool paths suitable for use with the drag knife yeah. Because we, we did mention this the other week, didn't we? Yeah, we were talking about cutting leather. And, hmm. you know, when, when someone says cutting leather on a CNC router, the thing that comes to mind is, like, trying to use an end mill to cut leather. <laughs> yeah. And as I said, like, that's... I don't think that's a good idea. Don't do it. But then, yeah, Studio Blade on Instagram uh, sent us a DM showing his CNC router cutting um, leather for sheaths and doing an awesome job of it because he's using a drag knife. So a drag knife is basically... Um, like a swiveling exacto knife that you put yeah. in your spindle. And then as you pull it, as you turn around a corner, the, the point of the blade is a little bit behind the center of rotation. Mm -hmm. So it actually turns to keep facing the right way. Um, and yeah, it looked that, awesome. Looked yeah, great. That's pretty clever. So, th so the, the cutting edge is always going to be coming into the material as opposed to if it was like a mill or something, it would just be yeah. rotating. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so when, when they say that you're, they have a program to post-process your toolpaths, so imagine if you wanted to cut a square with a drag knife, where you try to turn the corner, if you just do a square, then the drag knife's not going to do the right thing. It's going to kind of, like, fuck up that corner. Yeah. So what it does is, like, a little outside loop. Uh, oh. So it goes, it continues past in a straight line, and then it kind of goes up, and then comes back down to make that sharp corner by doing an outside loop to allow the drag knife to turn around. Got you. So just as if you were CNC with a mill, um, you could say inside or outside the line and it would do that loop either side. Yes. That's cool. Yeah. Fair yeah. Fair. So, but you know, like the, it's a pretty inexpensive option. So yeah, if someone wanted to like do a lot of leather or something, then you could totally take like a cheap CNC router and then, you know, potentially just use it for drag knife work. Hmm. Um, very so, handy. Yeah. Seemed like a really good option. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tech Ingredients, which is a YouTube channel as well. Um, apparently, you've been watching that a lot recently. I have, yes. So I'm starting on a, a bit of a crazy project um, that's not really CNC related. It's it's automation related, I guess. We've talked a little bit in the past about my 
the DLC coatings on my place. Yes, yeah. So the DLC is basically like a, um, it's called diamond-like carbon. So it's basically what they call a PVD coating, a physical vapor deposition coating. So you're, you're kind of chipping atoms off a carbon block and then having them <laughs> condense onto your blade. Sounds simple. Sounds yeah, really simple. Yeah, totally simple. <laughs> the funny thing is that it's actually... Some versions of PVD coatings are actually super simple. So if you wanted to do a nickel PVD coating, right? So it's kind of like the PVD equivalent of nickel plating. Right. Um, what you would do is you'd put your knife in a really good vacuum chamber, like really, really clean vacuum. And then you would take nickel and heat it up until it's like red hot. And because it's in a vacuum it evaporates more easily. And when it evaporates, you get little nickel atoms just shooting off in random directions. And then they condense on the first thing that they touch and they stick to it. Ah. So you could basically take like a nickel filament, heat it up with an electric current and have it spray a thin layer of nickel metal all over your blade. Mm. Um, So yeah, like in some ways, it's actually a very, very... Uh, simple process um so basically right now my dlc coding is is pretty brutal because um i have a lot of rejects and rework and it probably costs me a bit over 30 bucks a knife to do the dlc yeah. coding including all the rework and stuff so and something you can't control yourself as well isn't that so that's the biggest problem yeah exactly so i'm i'm launching into a project to build my own pvd coding system which is going to be you make me laugh a lot of fun it's gonna be a lot of fun i've been i've been kind of lining up on this for a while learning about it and stuff um but yeah so there's this youtube channel called tech ingredients and they just do nuts projects um i think i've talked about them in the past a little bit where i was watching one of their videos on making rocket engines Mm, yes you did yes yeah. yeah and so they they um had a another video uh called fun with plasma tubes um which covers making your sheldon cooper you're right yeah (laughs) making your own plasma tubes and um accidentally they actually they're trying to avoid accidentally doing a pvd coating inside their plasma tube um there they were sputtering tungsten which means they're like sputtering means like chipping atoms off of the tungsten and then it's coating onto their glass which they don't want because they're trying to make a bright light so yeah, I've been watching a lot of that channel. It's um, it's a good time if you're into like physics and chemistry. Good time. So that's Tech Ingredients. That's the YouTube channel name, is it? Yeah. Tech Ingredients. Yeah, just Tech Ingredients. Okay, cool. So yeah, I'm pretty excited about the the coding system. Um, you know, potentially bringing that process into my shop, it would be amazing. Hmm. Mm. So I mean, physically, I mean, what sort of size machine is this going to be? What? Um, I'm going to build a small one. Like the the guys that do my coatings, their machines are, you know, eight feet on a side. Um, and once you start getting up into the the larger sizes, things just get really complicated because you're right. you're not creating pressure in there. You're creating vacuum, but that means that your outside air is exerting inward pressure on your vacuum chamber, and it's about fifteen pounds of pressure per square inch. Um. So, yeah, you have to build, like, a pretty beefy vacuum chamber if you want one that's, like, you know, six feet in diameter. Mm, yeah. Um, wow. So, yeah, I'll be, I'll be doing it on the cheap. Like, I'll be, 
using like a stainless steel cooking pot or something for my final vacuum chamber um you know it'll be on the smaller side yeah um but yeah i've already been building parts i've been uh working on the vacuum feed throughs this week which are ways to get electrical power into the chamber without letting air in or out okay um so it's kind of like a spark plug you know, spark plug lets you get electricity into an engine without letting the explosions out. The the vacuum feed-throughs are the same kind of thing for a vacuum chamber. But they're like 200 bucks US each if you just buy them. For the, That's like the cheapest ones. Yeah. Um, so I've worked out a way to make them for about 10 bucks, which is nice. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So crazy projects at the moment. Yes, yeah. When you talk about these things, I'm, my mind is just thinking, how and why would you even consider like making something that I don't even understand what it is, let alone how it works? Well, but that's the thing. Like, to have the mindset, oh, well, I'll actually just make one anyway. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, so like I, I wanted to look into nickel coating for my blades for a while because that would be a really great corrosion-resistant layer. And there's mm. tons of people on YouTube that are like, oh, you can do nickel coating. It's easy, you know. So I looked at it, and then I was like, one of the things they're making is nickel acetate, which is where you, um, you're basically doing electroplating of nickel into a vinegar bath to make nickel acetate, and then you use that to plate, do the electroplating onto your blade. And then I was like, oh, I, I should look up how do you dispose of this stuff. Well, it turns yeah, out it sounds extremely toxic. Yeah, turns out it is. And like these guys <laughs> are just making it on YouTube. No one's talking about how to dispose of it. But it's toxic, carcinogenic, it's a heavy metal salt, which means it's a massive environmental pollutant. Mm. Um, you know, and I'm sure a lot of these people are just chucking it down the drain. Oh, jeez. Um, and, and that's one of the things that really attracts me to the idea of like a PVD coating system, because it's all kind of solid. You know, like at the very worst, you're going to get some like nickel dust out of the right, system, okay. which yeah. is still a very inert, you know. So it's like potentially a very environmentally friendly process um and yeah if you know if you were just to do like nickel or copper or some other metal then like i said you're basically just like making a shitty light bulb hmm. right with your with your knife knife inside it yeah uh, um so yeah hopefully my videos will make it a lot simpler make it less magical Yes, yeah, easier to understand maybe. <laughs> oh come on, you got you got it at this point. You just make a shitty sort light bulb. Sort of, sort of, sort of. You just yeah. make a shitty yeah. light bulb, Craig. It's not that. Hard. Yeah. So, could you, uh, rather than coating the whole blade, could you make a a fake Damascus by <laughs> putting the nickel content just on the outside, like a sheath? Yeah, yeah, you totally could. <laughs> like, like almost like a Sanmai jacket, which is just the Damascus shapes. <laughs> which you could control uh, yes with nickel. yeah especially with the shitty light bulb technique because it's it's perfectly line of sight so you can put a mask in between your blade and the evaporation source um and you know just spray the metal on where you want it there we go that's the future yeah no, shitty, no more laser laser engraving required shitty fake damascus one of, one of your machines yeah <laughs> gothascus we'll call it <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> space news. There's been a lot going on over the well, last couple of wait, weeks. Well, wait, wait, wait. Should we talk about space or should we talk about CNC for a minute? Uh, uh, <laughs> let's, 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 let's. <laughs> okay, let, let's talk about CNC for a bit longer, maybe. maybe For a bit longer. 
Yeah, so a company called Form Labs. Uh, I've been waiting for a long time for them to re- release their newest 3D printer called the Fuse One, right? Which uh, is very exciting because it's a uh, an SLS uh, printer, so um, selective it's a laser printer. sintering printer. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it prints nylon powder into final nylon parts, and it's super exciting because they were like, "Oh, it's going to be ten ten grand," and I I've been signed up for the mailing list. I've been waiting. They finally released it, and it's nineteen grand. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And wow, I was like, oh. And unfortunately, like, so I was looking into what you need, you know, to be able to run one of those machines. So basically, when you get the parts out of the machine, it's a big block of loose powder with your parts inside it. Okay. Yeah. And the powder is ultra fine, like almost like printer toner. Um, so you have to get your parts out of this block of powder without breathing the powder in, without spreading it all over your shop. And it's, it sticks to everything because it's like very staticky and it's ultra fine. Um, so you kind of need their like special glove box system to even like get the parts out. And that's like another five grand or something. Oh, Jesus. And then if you want to reuse the powder, um, you can mix used powder up to 50% with new powder. But then you need the powder recycling system, which is like another five grand. So, yeah, I was very excited about it, but like it just doesn't seem uh, affordable <laughs> yeah. enough, you know. Affordable at that price. I yeah. mean, SLS. So when you when I first read this this note, I was assuming it was going to be um, one of the resin printers, which, which we're seeing right. quite a lot of. That's now. SLA. Stereolithography, exactly. yeah. Yes. So what's the, the process with SLS? You say, you say there's this powder, but how is the, the shape formed? Yeah, so basically what it does is the printer has a print bed that moves downward. Um, and each time it moves downward, it puts a very thin layer of this plastic nylon powder um, mm. down. So it lays down a, a layer of this loose powder. And then it uses a laser to... Um, selectively melt or selectively sinter the powder. So it's basically like tracing the shape of each layer onto the powder. Okay, yeah. Um, And yeah, it's just doing that one layer at a time and then you end up with parts that are uh, like laser melted together inside the the loose powder bed. And the reason it's fantastic that it's in the the loose powder bed is because you don't need supports ever. Because it's it's within the form of it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the loose powder underneath is supporting it um and so that means you can print parts on top of other parts um so the the print volume i think is about 12 inches square like cubed Mm. um and you can just fill that with parts wow so does this need like a like a heated bed then or could you essentially just make that gantry as big as you wanted and just print indefinitely oh um it doesn't need a heated bed um the, actually, the build chamber might be lightly heated to make it easier to center the material. Oh, okay. Yeah. But then, like the, it has to be like kind of closed off from air because the powder nylon, it, the powder is nylon, and nylon is extremely hydroscopic. It absorbs water really quickly, and when it absorbs water and then you heat it up, um, it hydrolyzes, which means that it cracks the polymer chains apart. And basically ceases to be a useful plastic. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so you have to keep the powder really, really dry. And then it has to be sealed while you're printing it. It's not really a homebrew thing. 
Like yes, some people yeah, have homebrewed it. Sounds it. pretty, yeah, yeah, intensive. Yeah, some people have homebrewed it, but it's, it's like a pretty brutal process to homebrew a machine like this. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's it's potentially super exciting, but still too expensive, I think, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And what would you want to use that for anyway? What's the sheaths? Ah, still on the sheaths. Yeah, okay. I'd okay. love to use it for my sheaths. Mm. Um, we'll see though. I've I've still been experimenting on other options and um. A friend of mine in Montreal, Alex, has... Uh, so if you look him up on Instagram, it's Alex3DMaker. Um, was kind enough to print me a bunch of samples. He's got a, a bunch of really nice 3D printers, um, both resin and filament printers. And he printed me... I think he sent me like 10 samples, different filaments, nice. um, different resins. So... At some point soon, I'm going to be doing a video showing like my 3D printed sheaths and the ones that he sent me and destruction testing of all of them um, and just like talking about the different materials and stuff. So we'll see. I like I would love to 3D print my sheaths. I'm not sure if it's mm. going to happen, but I'm looking at it. Yeah. Well, what was the update after with the um, the luminescent um, handles? Uh, have you put those into sort of production have they, have they any shipped um... yeah yeah i've shipped a couple actually nice. um yeah i still have to work on that a little bit so yeah craig's referring to i did some some glow in the dark handle scales which was awesome um so i was mixing a really high performance glow in the dark powder with some epoxy and pigments so that it has a really nice daytime color it's like a really bright green mm. and then um basically machining a pocket into the underside of some g10 so that it acts as a mold and i can actually like pour it straight onto the g10 um let it cure and then machine the whole block um and yeah overall it's worked really well i think the powder that i'm using is too coarse um because right. it's settling out of the epoxy too much okay yeah yeah so basically i want it to stay in suspension but the epoxy that i'm using cures really slowly it takes like 72 hours to cure um and it's very low viscosity. And the reason that that's important is because it means it kind of self-releases any bubbles that might be yes, yeah. in the epoxy. But that also means the powder has a ton of time to settle. Um, so I actually have, I bought a mortar and pestle. I'm going old school. I'm going <laughs> to grind some powder up um, and see how, that, see how that goes. Nice. Okay. Yeah. And, and would, could you potentially use these for liners then? Could you machine them to, you know, sort of two, maybe three mil? Yeah, well, that's what I've been doing. I, I've been basically taking the G10, machining like a a two millimeter deep pocket, or a, it's actually like one millimeter. It's like 60, 60 thou. Mm. Um, one millimeter deep pocket in in the backside of it, and then pouring the glow in the dark epoxy right into that pocket. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then curing it, and then I machine the whole thing, and the that layer basically comes out as the liner for the for the knife. Got you gotcha yeah it looks awesome um i like i'm genuinely thinking about my my black and green handle scales so the mm. black scales with the green liners i'm thinking about moving to doing all of those in the glow in the dark material oh wow because it basically wow. looks exactly the same in the daylight and then at nighttime mm. it has an awesome glow effect to it so yeah. Because that's been the biggest problem that I've, I've seen plenty of these glow-in-the-dark scales available sort of commercially. Yeah, and they look shit um, during the day, right? It, yeah, it's like this milky sort of off-white 
like yeah, yeah not very, it's not like, almost like jade. They, they tried to say it looks like jade, but it, it's that kind of color. But right. it, it, there's no sort of quality to it. It's not nice. Yeah, so I've done a couple with um, a ghost jade G10, like natural G10, which is kind mm. of um, transparent, and then the the kind of bright green layer on the on the inside of it gives it like a a candy apple green kind of color. Yeah, and then it oh. it glows through the G10 as well um and that looks cool like i i like that a lot it's um a little bit more gimmicky because it's really obvious that it's like a glow in the dark thing you know but Mm. it it you can see it all night like it's very very practical in that way nice nice it's been fun yeah yeah i bet i bet well i'm still sort of working on this this folded knife Mm. um and i've been using um alpharin for it which is a I don't want to say fake ivory, but um, it's it's a what would be the right word to use? Synthetic, I suppose. It's a synthetic, right. and I've I've got, I'm in sort of in two minds whether to be using it or not because it it clearly isn't real ivory, but it's but it's trying to be ivory, mm. you know, and and whether that's you know it's like people wearing fake fur, it's still not quite right. It's almost endorsing. No, I think it's fine. I think that's fine. I think fake fur is fine too. Um, Mm. You know, like Mm. I think it's a step into, I think it's a step of progress, right? Like where there's clearly something useful about fur, otherwise we wouldn't want it. Yeah, yeah. But I think to the to the person who doesn't know um what material mm. you're using you're just wearing fur and you're sort of normalizing wearing fur again or or in this case it would be ivory he just normalizing using ivory right again. yeah so i get th- that that's that's my sort of thing with it so i have actually got an alternative as well so i'm going to be mm. offering the folding knife with with two different um materials um, for, for scales so one is just solid brass okay um and it looks super super cool so it just looks like a, a Little, like a little bar of brass right that, that you carry um obviously brass isn't the hardest stuff so it's good over time it's going to get you know little nicks and little sort of wear patches on them and it'll well, take on a nice patina from handling too yeah so i think it's going to be pretty cool so yeah there's, there's going to be there's going to be the two um but yeah i'm thinking maybe a glow in the dark special edition could be Ooh. could be pretty cool too but that, that's I, that's the thing when i come up with like a new design or a, a new product kind of thing um i'm always telling myself keep it simple keep it simple offer you know don't offer anything it is what it is right because the moment you start offering sort of the customizations that's when it takes the time and when it becomes difficult yeah so at first it was just going to be right it's just this synthetic ivory handle and and that's it then it's like okay, well, the brass as well. So th- that's one option. And now I'm talking potentially a third option. It's just like, right, calm down, pe- yeah, power it back a bit again. I think I think that's the way forward. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing I'm looking at at the moment is um going open season on my color combinations, like mm. allowing people to order, you know, so for a small upcharge like twenty five bucks or something, allowing people to order whatever color combo they want. Um, yeah, and could could they configure that on the website then as well? Yeah yeah nice um and yeah basically i've been having to try and work out how to how to do that and that's been something that i've wanted to do for a long time and i think basically what i'm going to do is so whenever i'm doing handle materials i cut them up on my i have a diamond tile saw yeah um and i use that to cut up the g10 because it keeps there's like no dust yeah which is really nice so i cut them into blocks that are one and a half inches wide by ten and a half inches long 
and that's the right size to go straight into the CNC for machining into handle scales. Yeah. But normally, before I cut them up, I laminate the liners and the handle scales together. So you get like the green liner on the black handle scales or whatever. So machining all is one then. Yeah. And I think basically what I'm going to do is start stocking the thicker part, um, so like the actual scale and the liner separately, but they'll all be cut up to the right size. And then I bought a block of ultra high molecular weight polyethylene, which is a really slippery white plastic, almost like Teflon, but harder. Um, I'm going to make this jig where you slot the, the liner and the handle scale in together with glue in between them. And then there's just like a little clamping system that comes down. Um, so I'll be able to just, you know, on demand kind of glue up individual um, blocks of material for the handle scales. And then, you know, two hours later, they'll be ready to machine. So is this, is this material sort of resistant to, the, to epoxy then? You can just peel yeah, that off. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, so any squeeze out will just get kind of squished up against, there'll be like a channel cut into the, the polyethylene that'll yeah. be the, exactly the right size for the handle scales. Any squeeze out of the glue will just get kind of squished onto the sides and then the whole thing will just peel out. Smart, smart. So, well, it'll be smart if it works. We have to try it first. Maybe I'll glue yeah, a bunch I'm... of handle scales into this fucking block of plastic. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the one thing that uh, that would speed up my process hugely because um, let's say like my camp knife comes with, with two different sort of liners, I suppose. Right. Um, and the, it, like you just said, I, I, it, it's, it's, it's much harder to do them separately. Yes. Um, simply because, you know... It, if they if they're machined to size or they're they're, they're ground down to size, matching them perfectly is difficult because yeah. the minute you put uh, pressure on them, you know epoxy wants to slide around and and you know it's not the best. But what I have been using are um, have you heard of can twist? They're little yeah. clamps, yeah, but they don't give that sort of rotational. Um, yeah, they used a lot for welding and machining. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, on this sort of rig that you're making, using those sort of um, clamps would stop any sort of slide around as well. well I'm actually going to use um, fixture clamps, so that it's like a cam-operated clamp with like a, a oh, like a toggle yeah. clamp. Yeah. Um, that just comes straight down, um, and so they'll actually be like uh, fixed permanently into the ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene block. So they'll be in the right... That's a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> it is. A, um, yeah. yeah, so they'll be always in the right spot. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, theoretically, I should be able to do like five or six handle scales at a time. And then, you know, they'll be ready a couple of hours later. Nice. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. I, I'm, I've got the parts for that sitting there. It's been, you know, I've been meaning to do it for like two months. So you could just like a bin full of all your different colors and so on and just, and just make them to order and send them out to Amazon Styly next day. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, when we were talking about lean manufacturing last week, like, that's a very lean process. That, yeah. that, you know, just-in-time assembly of handle-scale materials, that's a very uh, lean improvement. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. It's going to be a nice little improvement. Yeah. Here's the thing, right? If if you get a request for, I don't know, something, something that you just know will be ugly, brown mm -hmm. liners and a... <laughs> And a pink handle. Are you going to be happy making that? Or are you going to be like, I, I, I don't know. Do I, I don't do know. It. You know, because that, that knife that we were talking about uh, before that was like blue with the green liners, 
Mm. I thought that was going to be ugly. You know, I, in my head, I hadn't put it together with the knives that I'd seen Jeff made that that look really good. You know, yeah. Um, I thought it was going to be ugly, and I was surprised. So, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's one of those things, isn't it? What once your knife is out there, you know, you know, people are, you know, people are showing their friends and that kind of thing. Yeah. And if it's something that you think is ugly. Yeah, you sure their friends yeah. are gonna go? Oh, jeez. Okay, so Swerve the ugliest them. knife that I've ever made was a request from a guy in Russia, and it was <laughs> asymmetrical. It was one handle scale bright orange, one handle scale bright green. Oh, okay. Well, funnily enough, Jeff is doing a lot of them at the moment too of that kind right. of thing. But just the orange and green? No, I it it, didn't. It's a bit strange, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's. Because, I mean, you come from a, a software background as well. Mm-hmm. And when I look back at some of my older knives and I look back through, like, pictures of, you know, the the, the first knives that I did, I'm like, right. oh, man, these are sitting in people's drawers. The people are using these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, I wish I could just send, like, an update. You know, it's like a software update. <laughs> right. <laughs> then up to my current standard because, oh, yeah, I, I shudder thinking about some of the knives I've sent out in the past, which at yep. the time I thought were great. But, you know, as as you get better at things, oh, Oh, but you know what? That's me. a good sign. There's, there's, uh, there's, you know, the the people that look back on their work from five years ago and are still happy with it, they're not improving. Yes, maybe. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a good sign that you that you shudder. You know, and I I do the same. But you know, it's that's a good thing, man. Yeah, yeah. A, you know, a lot of conversations it. that I have with people, like customers from years ago. Um, you know, where they're, they're, you know, we're just chatting on on the internet or something. Like that. They'll say something, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, Jesus, I, I remember that knife." And I'm like <laughs> trying to steer the conversation to something else quickly. Right? Ah, no. Uh, right. One of those things. One of those things. We all improve over time, I suppose. Yeah, and I mean, I think ultimately that like a lot of people just really want to have like a fully customized thing. They want it to be theirs, mm. and I, I respect that. So, who knows? Like my um, my uncle. Uh, is a cabinet maker and he paints all of his tools like fluorescent pink like a really horrible fluorescent pink just with a rattle can yeah. you know with a spray can and he doesn't try to do a good job on it and it really clearly identifies his tools as his and they're also ugly that no one wants to steal them steal them yeah it makes yeah. a lot of sense you yeah. know yeah i i couldn't i like that my tools to be like clean Yes, and you know to 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 stay remaining new as possible as long as possible. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah, I'm like the only person that like, you know, takes a damp rag to their shop vacs and and cleans them. <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm not quite that bad, but uh, it, it's only since you know I I used to be the guy who'd buy like the cheapest tools to get the job done. Um, right. But then you find that you, yet again you buy another cheap tool, you buy another cheap tool, and it's that whole sort of you know. Yeah. You know, by quality, by ones kind of thing, you know. And, by and once, since cry started, once, I say. Yeah, yeah. Since I started doing that, I don't know, I just gained a much more sort of respect for the tools that I've got and um, look mm-hmm. after them far, far more. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, I'm kind of in the middle ground. Like, if I'm if I'm buying something that I, you know, I'm going to need very rarely. So, like, the, in the old shop, I needed a hammer drill. Mm. And, like, not one of those piss-weak little you know, oh, it's a hammer drill, it's a driver, it's a, you know, I needed, like, a proper hammer drill. The 9-volt battery, yeah. Yeah, none of that. <laughs> so, um, 
you know, I was looking at hammer drills, like SDS drills, and, and if you want, like, a Makita SDS hammer drill, you know, it's like 600 bucks. Yeah. yeah. And I'm never going to get 600 bucks worth of use out of it. So I bought, uh, you know, a skill brand um, SDS drill, plugs yeah. into the wall, you know, it has a ton of power. It was like 120 bucks. And you know what? I'm totally going to get 120 bucks worth of use out of its lifetime. Yeah. But I'm going to use yeah. it like four times a year or something, you know? That's the way to think of it, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So, I, I, but if it's stuff that you use every day, yeah, you don't want to be getting the cheap stuff. No, no, no. So let's talk about space. <laughs> <laughs> we do it every week. We do, and that, a, lot, I, a lot has happened over the last, since we last spoke. Um, yeah. You know, even I'm aware of the stuff that's been, I'm not, I don't follow space too, you know, too keenly. Um, what has been happening, Craig? Well, there's the, the rover that landed on Mars. Yeah. Um, which sent images extremely quickly. Um, yeah. Which, it, think of like that, that as a feat, you know, as, you know, of, of what humankind can do. I'm mm-hmm. sitting there and I'm watching on my little phone, on this little magic device, um, and I'm watching almost in real, t- as as you know, as real time as you can get, I suppose, considering um, right. something touching down on on Mars, and you're wondering, like, you know, what's it going to see? What's it going to? It it blows my mind, blows my mind. And and just this week, um, so at the NASA site, they've always got stuff on there, obviously. Um, but there, there's a live stream, and, and there's these these two people doing a spacewalk, and um, you know, it was just a link on Twitter. I clicked it, and next, you know, I'm watching like in again in in close to real time. These people just, you know, doing a space work, space walk, and they're doing some sort of maintenance. And he's just thinking, right? Jesus, that's happening now. This isn't this isn't science fiction. This is like real on my phone, which which is science fiction in right. itself. But yeah, it it just blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, the one like I I think it's amazing too. The thing that bugs me is just that I know that that rover was made at like an exorbitant cost like just way way too high like i I, honestly so the um the company that launched it ula the united launch alliance they kind of pissed me off because they're what's called a cost plus contractor which means that like however much it costs them that's what nasa pays plus (laughs) plus a bit you know, plus some profit. Yeah, so if yeah. if they take twice as long just because, and it costs twice as much just because, that like that's what NASA has to pay. Yeah. Wow. So unfortunately, like that little helicopter that went up to um to Mars as part of the Perseverance program, apparently yeah, that was yeah. like eighty million dollars. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like. So I just I I love the idea. I just it 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 irks me a bit that. You know, I, I really like the way that SpaceX do things, right? Like they're not afraid to like afraid to you know blow shit up mm. in the name of like eventually getting it done with an overall much lower cost. Yeah, you know, and I kind of would have loved to have seen a SpaceX version of the Mars rover. NASA need to be working with, like with brands, get like Land Rover involved, and say, <laughs> "Look, we 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 use this external company to make this rover. We'll stick a Land Rover badge on the front, and you pay <laughs> half the bill." How does that sound? Sounds great. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, yeah. I don't know. I'm torn in between two things, right? Like I, I really think space exploration should be like a non-profit, non-advertising thing, mm. but I think it should also be done with like a modicum of. Uh, cost 
reasonability, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it's amazing. Like it's very very cool. I just I don't know why it bugs me. It's it's a hot take, I know, but it, it bugs me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. There was also um, I saw a tweet, um, and I don't know which company it was that are working on it, but the the, the hotel in space, which they reckon <laughs> by the end of twenty twenty three. Um, will be taking bookings. For you read press releases and you just take them at face value, don't oh, you? Completely, Greg? completely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it I don't know really if you cool. saw the press release like where I said I was going to uh, launch a knife to Jupiter. Hundred <laughs> percent. It's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. I sure. I, I sure. Space space hotel. <laughs> they didn't I mention how you get up there. How, you know what what the travel shot. arrangements are. Um. But um, it it looked very very cool. <laughs> yeah, I just imagine like they're gonna be sending a lot of really space sick people up there. You know, you'll be in a hotel with twenty other people that are trying to have space sex, getting like massive motion sickness, puking their guts out in a zero zero g environment. <laughs> oh Jesus! It's gonna be a floating oh, puke hotel semen all over the place. <laughs> the yeah, exactly. It's gonna be it's gonna be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, the porn industry, it does seem to be sort of leading the way in technology, has done for years. Space and... porn, you think that's next? <laughs> so maybe, yeah, that's that's what'll happen. They'll be filming up there before anything else. <laughs> God. <laughs> you had to talk about space, didn't you, Craig? We had to. Yeah. We had to. It's, it's, it's a weekly thing. It's a weekly thing. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a few links here that we, um, I think... Certainly for the first one, we talked about something the, the other week, and we didn't really mention the link to it, um, Oh, which was Arc Welder, um, which was a software for producing smoother, faster, and better 3D prints. Yes, very clever little thing, this, actually. So I didn't realize that um, most 3D printing software, like your slicer, is actually, you know, so if you have, like, a big circle, it's actually spitting out, you know, a thousand little straight line segments. Um and that's not really th something that's done with CNC machines because it would look horrible. But I didn't realize that that's kind of the norm in 3D printing. And apparently, like, uh, Marlin, which is one of the most common 3D printer firmwares for, like, actually running your 3D printer, yeah. has support for native arcs. So in the G-code, you can program a circle. Right, but, like, okay. almost no one uses it. Um, which is really interesting. So Arc Welder is a little bit of software that pre, uh, sorry, post-processes your G-code. So you could use like Prusa Slicer or Cura or whatever. Make your, um, slice your file, make your 3D print G-code, and then run it through Arc Welder. And what it'll do is actually detect when a whole bunch of straight lines are supposed to be an arc, and then just turn it into an arc. Okay, okay. So think of that as... <sighs> I don't know, like like in illustration terms, as like working with a bitmap or working with like an SVG. Yeah, so taking your having... pixels and making it into a, a vector, into a smooth exactly. line. Yes, yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and um, apparently there's actually like a non-trivial improvement in um, like the, the final quality of the prints, particularly if you're oh. printing like a big round thing, like if you were printing like a vase or something. Um a lot of the time you'll see those big circles come out with like little facets on a regular 3D printer and then Arc Welder basically eliminates that. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and it also can significantly increase the printer's speed because rather than having to like read a thousand lines of code to make one 
circle, it's basically just reading one. Mm, yeah. So it, in some ways, it makes it a lot easier on the, the 3D printer. So And the, the movement's much smoother because the 3D printer knows it's trying to make a circle rather than trying to make a, you know, a thousand stop-start lines. Mm. Um, so yeah, I just thought that was really clever. Like if, if you're you know, struggling with getting like really nice flowing curves on a, a 3D print, then yeah, this, this program called Arc Welder might be the thing to look at. Cool, and there's a, there's a video on YouTube demonstrating this as well. So I'll make sure you yeah. put that in the in the show notes so people can just go and take a look. Yep, hundred percent. And the, the last point that we've got here here in our notes is about recycling plastic. And I know we're both very sort of keen on this because you know it's, it's something that we all should be keen about. Um, but you know we talked about using a, a recycled material for sheaths last week. Yep. Um, and we you know we our shops we're trying to make a sort of. Res- they're trying to be as responsible makers, basically, and, you know, waste as little as possible. Yeah, um, as much as we can. Well, yeah, exactly. And um, well, this is a Wikipedia entry and saying that in 2018, only 8.5% of all plastic used in the U.S. was recycled. Yeah. 8.5%. And I knew it was bad. I just didn't know it was mm. that bad. And yeah, when I ran and, across and I know that, the I was like, stuff that we. I mean, particularly here uh, and the UK as well, and I'm not sure how it is in the, in the US or in Canada. We ha- we have like multiple, you know, bins for putting our our our, our rubbish into. So whether mm. it's you know non-recyclable or if it is recyclable and, and all the rest of it. But I know that even the recyclable stuff that's taken away, it is only a small percentage of that that is is yeah. recycled because it can be. Um, you know, if it's not even one hundred percent clean, they'll just literally toss it back into the, into the garbage. They won't you know, they won't clean it before recycling. Yeah, and it's um, kind of interesting. They blame consumers for that stuff. They're like, you have to yes. clean your plastic, you know. But even on the stuff that is clean, only a very small percentage of it is recycled. Because yeah, yeah, you know. So in Canada, it's kind of funny. They have they use like computer vision systems for um, sorting some of the recycling, but the conveyor belts that they have all the plastic on are black and that means that they cannot recycle any black plastic yes yeah and i, I i've heard something about the um the pigment that's used in, in black plastic as well that's problematic so i don't think it's just the actual scanning i think the actual material right. for some for some reason as well I'm well i mean sure. it definitely means you can't use it in any other colors because i think it's normally just like a carbon black that's mm. the the pigment so it's it's black regardless of how much you dilute it yeah um yeah but yeah, just I don't know. I, I read that; it just kind of bums me out, you know. Like, yeah, it is just, like, just a horrible statistic because fuck, you know people are trying to do their best, and you, you know you, you think you're doing such a such a good thing by reducing your your waste and having more sort of recyclables. But if only a small percentage of that is actually being recycled, it's just a kick in the nuts. Yep, good old running kick too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, funny enough, just this morning, um, let me pull it up. It was um. A company contacted me because they'd read on my website. I've got like a sustainability sustainability policy on my on my website right. uh, for Chop, and um, there's a company that contacted me. And let me find out who they were. Just a second. Well, I also saw a really interesting company. I saw an ad for them of all things. They're called Cert C E R T. Right. And they're so one of the issues with plastics recycling is that every time you reheat it and you remelt it, you're you're like recrystallizing it. You're like rearranging the structure and you're basically making it worse every time you do that. It's losing its mechanical properties and so on. So what they're doing is actually 
they've developed a process to like burn the plastic in a very specific way in like a sealed system so that it produces ethylene gas and ethylene gas is one of the primary ingredients in polyethylene it's polymerized ethylene so by by being able to produce the the gas like the precursor gas they're able to produce virgin plastic again rather than oh, right. remelting it they're actually like making it into completely new plastic yeah so i haven't really read anything about that other than just seeing the ad i but it was one of the few ads on youtube that actually like oh i actually watched it <laughs> that's cool yeah yeah i've just pulled up actually the company reached out to me was called pak urang okay. um again we put the the link in the in the show notes there um so basically it, it's it's about reusing the packaging so mm. Um, they've got this whole big spiel about you know Amazon boxes and so on that they're, they're never reused and hardly recycled. Yeah. Um, but th- these things they are they're more like um like a shopping bag that you you'd keep using and using and using. And the whole point of this is that you'd you'd ship your products in these bags. Um, and whichever shipping company you use to deliver, um, there's a, there's an incentive for them to come and pick it back off you. Um, so next time they give you a package, they'll say, have you got your old package in? And they'll take it. Um, and this stuff doesn't need any sort of process to be recycled. They literally just take the label off, stick a new label on it, ready to be used again. Oh, really? um, so, yeah, it's, it's a really nice idea. Um, Paku, Paku, Paku-rang. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things that will only work if, if lots of people do it because a lot of people think, well, what the hell is this? You know, what, what are we going right. to do with this? It's like um, the old school... Um like milk delivery services where yes. you know they didn't yeah. smash your bottle up and recycle it every time they just reuse the Re- bottle reuse the actual bottle yes yeah, yeah. and it's funny again it was another tweet actually that i saw we spent a lot of time in bed reading tweets <laughs> uh, um, and somebody said like imagine a future where you know 90 percent of the traffic on the roads is particularly early mornings was was electric um they'd be delivering products that were in packaging that was fully recyclable and it's like, that's exactly what, uh, I don't know if you had it in the US, but certainly in the UK, we had milkmen in the morning mm-hmm. they deliver milk on electric cars. Yeah, and their little electric milk milk veins. Yeah, back, back in the sort of 70s, you know, they'd have these little electric carts and they'd come, they'd deliver, you know, milk bottles made of glass delivered to your doorstep. Um, and then, yeah, you know, the next day they'd give you more and they'd take away the old milk, they'd wash that, reuse them and that kind of thing. And it, it's very sort of... Yeah. You know, you can imagine a tech startup now going, this is brilliant, on demand, and we'll deliver it to you the next day, and we'll take away your packaging. And so, well, it's been done before. Man, I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. If, like, every morning you got, you know, fresh milk, fresh bread. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's nothing better than, like, brand new bread, brand new milk, you know? Like, yeah. What, and yeah. I remember as a kid it. as well, when the, when the milk was delivered as a kid, um, because they were in these glass bottles, um, you know, they, they would have been... Normally, it's sort of like three in the four, four in the morning. You, you'd hear right. the, the little electric cart going around, all the milk bottles rattling away. Um, <laughs> but in the morning, then you'd pick it up, and like the top of the milk bottle would have like, the cream, you know, and it would like, oh, be quite thick. Right. It's like, oh, just the best. So just it's real best. milk. None real of this. Milk. None of this stuff we get now. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Proper straight from the cow, straight from the tit. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. Idolizing the past now, right? I yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know what the solution is, but I just, I just read that and it, I was just like, oh, bombed me out. Yeah, yeah. And it's on nice. that note, 
We're going to leave you all bummed out for the whole day. <laughs> Have a good think about your recycling, <laughs> kids. <laughs> yeah, I think, as you said, as, as makers, as people that make, make stuff, I think it is important to think about our waste products, you know, yeah. what, what stuff can be reused, what stuff can't. Yeah, but we're um, all part of the problem. If we're making stuff, we're making waste and we're using energy and so on. But the yeah. idea is to cut down as much as possible and, and make things that will last forever. I think that's, that's, that's probably the biggest thing we could do. Mm-hmm making stuff that's not going into the ground and having to remake again. But um... One thing I'd really like to try, so, I mean, I'm living in the city now, so this isn't really practical, but I'm planning to move outside the city, get a bit of a bigger shop. And one thing I really want to try is doing in-house recycling of my steel. So, uh-huh. like, uh, remelting it or, um, you know, forge welding it into a, a new block to, yeah. to re, re-machine. Um yeah, we'll see. I mean, that sounds like a really fun project. Yeah, but I use exclusively now Sandvik steels, mm-hmm. and um, they've got an incredible sort of sustainability policy and, you know, looking to the future, what what they plan on doing. But at the moment, their stainless 12C27, which is um, used massively over here in Europe. Right. Um, I suppose it's AEBL, very similar. Um Similar, it is yeah. 78% recycled at the moment. Right. Um, which is incredible. And also their whole sort of delivery method, everything is, they think of everything, you know. And, um, yeah, they really seem to have their head screwed on. And their sustainability policy, which you can download online, is it's just done brilliantly. And it's actually readable, unlike many, many cool. of these policies you see elsewhere. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of Sandvik stuff. And, um, yeah. Nice. I've been trying to talk to them in North America, and as I said to you previously, I haven't had much luck. So I'm going to reach out to the European Sandvik, see what it's like. Yeah, well, over here, it's the steel It's the steel of choice, really. Everybody seems to be using Sandvik. Right. As I say, um, it's just very common over here. Um, yeah, whereas in North America, it's like no, no one uses it. Right. Pretty much. Like... Um, you know, some people use AEBL, which often comes from Udderholm, and then there's 13C26, which comes from Sandvik. Hmm. But, um, yeah, getting 13C26 here is, I, I don't think I've seen anyone that's selling Sandvik 13C26. Right. I think, wow. um, uh, what's it called? Em- Empire, Empire Steels, something like that. I think they have 12C27 and 14C28. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's like I'm trying to remember the name of this company, but I've unfortunately heard some bad things about them. So Oh really? Okay. Yeah, like okay. substituting steels for other steels um without telling the customer and that kind of stuff, you know. So mm. I'm like, oh that's not good. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. We're 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 straying into knife talk territory here. Yep, that's right. <laughs> get a bit of everything but on this one. That's a show. That's a show. We shall speak to you all again uh next week. Have a great week, everyone. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.
saving money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money. 